My grandmother had dementia. Towards the end, she did not know who I was. I could tell her in her eyes, she was kind of like pretending she knew who I was, but I knew she didn't know who I was. And that was okay. It was the disease. But you have to understand it's not personal. And I feel sometimes when I'm speaking mm-hmm. with families that they take it personally. And it's not, it's not something that can be controlled. Or family, sometimes they almost think that they're, I mean, I hate to say faking, but I've had some people say that to me that they try to get, mom, you remember this, you know, you remember we did this last year, remember, remember. And that just causes stress to the person with dementia. So I think those are some things I feel like families need to be aware of. Welcome to Aging in Style with me, Lori Williams. I'm an optimist by nature, and I believe you can follow your dreams at any age. My grandmother's journey with dementia ignited a passion in me to work with seniors. I've spent the past 13 years learning about seniors and aging. In my mid-50s, I followed my own dream and founded my company, where I use my expertise to help seniors locate housing and resources. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of aging. Join us each week to meet senior living experts and inspirational seniors who are following their dreams. The fact is, we're all aging, so why not do it in style? Hi, welcome to another episode of Aging in Style with Lori Williams. Today, we are going to be talking about preparing to visit our senior loved ones who have dementia over the holidays. And this is going to actually be a three-part series where we're going to be talking about different effects with the Alzheimer's Association. They have agreed to work with us and do these episodes, as well as, I'm very excited to say, In the new year, we're going to have them on once a month to talk about a different aspect of Alzheimer's, which is so important. So today, our guest is Tanisha Tyler Carr. She is the Program and Services Coordinator for Alzheimer's Association Dallas and Northeast Texas Chapter. Tanisha has a bachelor's degree in applied behavioral analysis with a minor in dispute resolution at the University of North Texas of Denton, Texas. And Tanisha has been with the association since 2012, and she works primarily with caregivers and individuals with the diagnosis as a care consultant. In her role as a consultant, she provides a one-on-one care planning, crisis management, and information and referral for families who have been affected by Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias. So thank you so much, Tanisha. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Lori. Great. Well, the question I always love to ask my guest is, what drew you to work with seniors and specifically with Alzheimer's? Well, I would say uh, it probably is kind of something that I've been exposed to since I was a child. My passion was fueled then when I was much younger and I was out of school on the weekends or for holidays. My mother and my aunt, they were CNAs and they had a lot of senior clients and they had a few that also uh, had a diagnosis of dementia. And so I would go to work with them. I would keep their clients happy reading stories and just playing with them. Now as a kid, I'm just playing with my new friends, but um, it really fueled a desire to really work with that population. And so I really, I'll say, I guess I've been trained to be a care provider since I was a child. So um, I've always had a connection with senior care and just Uh, individuals who have a medical or mental health diagnosis. So that's kind of why I'm here. 
just a perfect fit for you. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about this episode and what we want to share with our listeners. So when we go home to visit at the holidays, if we have you know a loved one who has dementia, it can be very challenging if you have not seen them you know in a year or two years. Say it's your your grandmother or maybe your dad, and you don't really know what to expect. So that's what we're going to hit on about today in, in this show. But I also want to ask I want to ask you, Tanisha, what are some statistics that you have on Alzheimer's? Because I know. We were just talking about this earlier. If you're in a room of people and you say, raise your hand, if you have a family member or know someone with dementia, just about everyone in that room is going to raise their hands. So what are some statistics now on dementia, Alzheimer's? Thank you for that question. Actually, the 2021 facts and figures, Alzheimer's disease facts and figures came out in March of this year. And if anybody's interested in looking at the YouTube video or looking at the report or the infographic, that address is alz.org forward slash facts, F-A-C-T-S. And the new statistics, we have about 6 million Americans who have received a diagnosis of Alzheimer's and another type of dementia. And typically you will see the onset of dementia 65 years of age. And as you know, one of the biggest myths is that this is a normal part of aging. And it's not. It's not a normal part of aging for anyone to have any type of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is a type of dementia. So I like to just kind of dispel that myth kind of right away. Even though this disease is associated with older adults, it's not a normal part of aging. And you don't always see people who are 65 years of age or older with this disease. 5% of that 6 million Americans who've been diagnosed, you are experiencing what we call younger onset. So this means that you may encounter individuals who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are living with a younger onset diagnosis. And in the state of Texas alone, there's about 400,000 individuals who have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, another type of dementia. And as we were talking about, those are just the people who are diagnosed. There are a lot of people out there who are not diagnosed. And I know I speak with people every day who they tell me, you know, kind of what's going on with their spouse or with their parents. And I ask them, is there a diagnosis of dementia? And they, they say, no, they haven't gone to to get that diagnosis. And I don't know, is it fear? People don't want to know what it is? Stigma, I would say, is, you know, definitely a part of it. There's so many factors. There's so many reasons for that. You know, it is fear. I mean, there's such a huge stigma when it comes to, you know, we go to the doctor if we're feeling pain in our body. You know, when we talk about cancer, or diabetes, HIV, things like that, it's very much normalized to have a conversation about going to the doctor. When it comes to a neurological condition that has to affect your mental health, you know, it is a medical condition, but it also affects your mental health. There's such a stigma around mental health. And I think that there's fear because, you know, that stigma is perpetuated so much. And then also, I think misunderstanding that this is a normal part of aging, which it's not. And then also, unfortunately, you do have in the medical community, there are physicians who are not telling people they have a diagnosis. 50% of people who may be living with a diagnosis don't even know because they're quietly given medication, but they're not receiving a diagnosis from their physician. So there's so many factors, um, mm -hmm. issues with also just being insured 
you know, having insurance pay for the screening. Uh, there's so many different factors. Everybody's situation is different, but I would say definitely stigma around the disease, misunderstanding and miseducation about the risk factors and the assumption that it's a normal part of aging is ever present. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So while we're saying there's 400,000 Texans who have been diagnosed, odds are there's quite a bit more than that out there oh, with absolutely. dementia. There are people who are living with a diagnosis, as you know, that you work with and I work with mm-hmm. and come across that don't want to go get that diagnosis because we give a name to it, it's definitive, then it's real. So, you know, there's a lot of different factors as to why people don't seek a diagnosis. Yeah. So what can we do for people who are going home to visit and There may be people who, because of COVID, maybe didn't go home last Christmas. They did not see their grandma or mom or dad. And as we know, Alzheimer's or dementia, whatever form they have, it is a progressive disease. So how should the person who is the caregiver prepare family who are coming to visit? They shouldn't just be kind of like, come see grandma and they're expecting grandma of two years ago and grandma has declined significantly. So so how should they prepare them? And should they prepare them? Obviously they should, but how would you say to prepare them? That's a great question. I would say it's always a good idea to prepare. Some feel they should, some feel they shouldn't sometimes feel as though maybe the family and you know their loved one will just kind of aggregate into the environment. But I think it's always a good idea to prepare just because the person you are care partnering for, your loved one who has a diagnosis, or if you are an individual with a diagnosis, you know, you are experiencing your world very differently. You have a routine, you have a care plan that you're working on with your family member, your doctor. So you kind of have your routine. And then when you have other people in the mix, like family and friends, you know, the holidays, it's a lot of hustle and bustle, a lot of different activities going in, family wanting to come in. The way you experience that is differently now because of your diagnosis. Um, You're still very much you. That hasn't changed. But just the way that your environment is has changed. And just really getting family to understand that they have to kind of maybe modify how they communicate and just the social interactions, uh, that's very key. And as a care partner, it's important for you to know, you know, to let family members know, hey, you know, this is how we do things. This is the best way for us to enjoy the holidays. This is the best way for us to enjoy food and social gatherings and for really, you know, to really kind of prep them to help them understand, um, you know, you have to adjust your expectations, um, you know, who they how and you communicate and how you relate it, like you said, two, three years ago, is different now. So we are still going to have a great time and be family and love on each other. But we need to understand that it's important that we modify and adjust our expectations mm-hmm. of how we're going to interact because, you know, they are experiencing a diagnosis and the diagnosis has changed the way that they externally express themselves and really just relate to their lives. Absolutely. And and I think people also need to realize not to be offended. And, and I, I say this because I talk to a lot of different people who are going through a family member with dementia, and sometimes they're offended that they don't remember who they are. They don't remember their own child or their own grandchild. And that is, is hurtful. That's difficult. My grandmother had dementia 
towards the end, she did not know who I was. I mean, and, you know, I could tell her in her eyes, she was kind of like pretending she knew who I was, but just, you know, but I knew she didn't know who I was. And that was okay. You know, it was the disease, but you have to understand it's not personal. And I feel sometimes when I'm speaking Mm -hmm. with families that they take it personally and it's not, it's not something that can be controlled. Or family, sometimes they almost think that they're, I mean, I hate to say faking, but I've had some people say that to me that, you know, they try to get, mom, you remember this, you know, you remember we did this last year, remember, remember, and that just causes stress to the person with dementia. So, I think those are some things I feel like families need to be aware of. What other kind of things do you see that you think would be a way, a good way to prepare family members coming to, for the holidays? I always think it's great to have phone calls or Zoom calls before family comes in and just kind of talk about the plan, just how we're going to, like we normally do, how we're going to do the holidays, who's going to bring what, you know, who's coming over, things like that, but also how we're going to really make this holiday special for everyone involved and specifically our loved one with dementia. And then also taking the stigma out, you know, and said, you know, continue to talk to them, relate to them and have that intimate closeness that you've always had with your loved one, but just understand to adjust your emotional expectations and how they respond to you, what they remember, meet them where they are, really learn who they are now, learn Mm -hmm. how they do things now to really meet them, you know, on that personal level, like you said, not getting offended if they don't remember names, they don't remember the relationship, but they remember that you're a person that they love and they care for. You're somebody that is close to them, but not taking it personally and understanding that it's just a disease and it's not something that they can help, but kind of just Uh, forming new bonds and new relationships with that person based on just how they're communicating and relating uh, at this current time. I think that's always key. It's -hmm. just remembering to do that and also, you know, not refer to them as the patient or them versus Mm -hmm. their name and really engaging them. They are a part of the family. They're involved in the event, they do have a diagnosis that is going to change the way that they can externally participate, but they're still very much them. And just Mm -hmm. really taking the sting and the stigma out of that, throwing that away, not looking at them like the diagnosis, looking at them like this is my loved one, because they have a diagnosis, things are different in how we can communicate and we interact. I need to make my modifications and my adjust my expectations so that they can still bond with me and enjoy the event and I can still enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I love but that. I think sometimes you have to just take the diagnosis out of it and not let that be the forefront of everyone's mind and still just find new ways to communicate with your loved one. With the mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because that's still your grandpa and mm-hmm. whether he is maybe nonverbal now, you can still go over, hold his hand. He feels that love from you. Sing a song or something mm-hmm. that, that you did together and still just talk to him. I mean, right. You know, like you said, he's still him. Yeah. He's yeah. still him. He is still who he is. Mm-hmm. He just has a diagnosis that changes the way he can really express himself externally. And I think that's what people have to remember. That person is still very much them. Like you said, you have to just modify the way that you communicate and interact with them because they are limited, unfortunately, by their diagnosis, but they're still very much them and they can still be a viable part of that environment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a little about the environment. So, I mean, you know, normally the holidays, a lot of people have big families, extended families, everyone's over, it's loud, it's crazy, there's kids running about. What are some things, someone with dementia that might be a little too much for them, a little bit of overload? So, what are some some ideas that maybe have them in a, a different room to eat if it's becoming too much? Or what are some thoughts that you have on that? Oh, Absolutely. Maybe before their diagnosis, you know, we all love the craziness of the family, the friends, the kids, the dogs, the laughter, the music, all of that. But now that there's a diagnosis involved, like you said, the way that they enjoy that environment may be different. And it may be too much. It may be overstimulating. And sometimes that can present itself in agitation or behavioral changes that may be unpleasant for other people. But it's really just a reaction to the environment, being uncomfortable. Maybe it's too much going on. So I think it's important to kind of prepare a place nearby the main action where they can just kind of have less noise. They're still able to enjoy food. They're still able to enjoy company. People can even come in um, individually and visit and connect with them. But maybe it's just right by, you know, it's, it's nearby, but it's just a little area where they can really enjoy themselves, enjoy the environment, but not be overwhelmed mm-hmm. by so many things because it's, it can be a lot for that person. If they're not really enjoying the environment, they don't seem very social, they're kind of recluse. It might be that that environment is just too overstimulating for them, or they're just really not connecting Mm -hmm. with the environment. So you want to make some modifications, like you said, somewhere in the house uh, where they can kind of be a part of what's going on, but maybe in a way that that's more appealing to them. Maybe, you know, maybe they need the radio on, maybe they need crossword puzzles or Sudoku books, you know, things that they're really interested in where they can be engaged in that, but still be close by the environment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just making those little changes. And I think also care partners and, you know, also the person who has a diagnosis being empowered to say, hey, maybe instead of having 20 people over, maybe we have five people over, you know, maybe we have a different type of celebration where it's not so much noise and so many people just modify it to where that person still feels comfortable and engaged, but maybe it's just not so much going on. Like you said, family members not being offended by that. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really not anything against you. It's just, you have to meet that person where they are and where they are, how they're operating currently, that may just be too much. And it may not be an interest or an engagement that they can really participate in. Absolutely. Very good points. And the other thing that I was thinking is, depending on where they are in their journey, I think, especially with women, we want to be involved in the process of preparing the meal. So, you know, maybe they can't cook like they used to, but maybe give them some sort of a task that they can do, um, yes. whether it is, you know, putting placemats out or folding napkins or, or doing something, give them a job. You have this diagnosis of dementia. However, like you said, you're still you, you're still in there and everyone needs a purpose still and oh, thrives absolutely. on that. Absolutely. I agree. And also, uh, when we talk about prep time with family members, letting them know what their normal routine is, things that they normally do, 
and Mm -hmm. allowing them to continue to do that just because there are other people around, you know, this is their routine. If they're normally the one that, you know, closes the blinds, sets the table, they have a routine, still kind of keeping in sync with that and letting people understand that they need to kind of adjust. So absolutely, you know, letting them be a part of the process in a way that, you know, that is making them feel engaged and viable, but also modified to where they are currently operating. Like you said, maybe we're not participating in the big cooking of the meal, but, you know, doing other things like setting the table, like you said, maybe doing a task, Mm -hmm. certain things that really make them feel a part of the environment, but not overwhelmed and still makes them feel successful. Mm -hmm. The other thing we had talked about, and I find this so interesting is about food with when you have Alzheimer's and plating food. So can you tell us some things about that? What's important about food and about plates? (laughs) Right. To really understand the diagnosis, uh, people, we all know about the memory loss. That's, you know, that's typically when people really notice something is going on because the short-term memory deficit is so severe. You know, the present in essence is disappearing, you know, repeating of questions, not being able to remember things that you discussed a day ago or maybe five minutes ago, that's short-term memory loss. But people don't realize uh, with Alzheimer's disease, which is a neurological condition and other types of dementia, like Alzheimer's disease, you know, this is a brain disease. So it's not just affecting memory and personality, but it's also that mind-body connection. It affects the senses. It affects uh, those vital messages your brain sends to your body about just taste and smell and sound and feel and touch and how you really egratiate into your environment. So as things change in the journey, that person may have a hard time recognizing food from the plate and may even have some textures or dexterity issues issues with smell and sound. So sometimes the way you plate the food, especially if someone is starting to have issues with food, maybe they're not eating as much or they're forgetting that they ate. So they're asking to eat several times. Or um, when they do sit down to eat, if everything to their eyes and their senses looks too similar, they're not really able to tell the food from the plate. Sometimes you may need to have a white, plain beige plate with colorful food so that they can distinguish the food from the plate. And sometimes we don't know about those issues, but that may be what they're experiencing. Um, And if the environment that they're eating in, if it's too noisy, if there's too much light, if there's just something about the environment that's not gelling with their senses, that can affect a person's ability to eat and enjoy. So sometimes, you know, just changing the environment, the plating, the color of the plating, and maybe even changing the coloring of the food. If that person's having taste issues, maybe uh, changing the flavor of the food to really be more acclimated to their current palate. So little things like that sometimes will help you with food issues. And also, if that person is having decreased appetite, you know, just being mindful of maybe having those, you know, uh, protein drinks or, you know, different uh, meal replacement drinks available. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Make sure they're getting their nutrients. And mm-hmm. like I said, with the plate thing, that's something I had never thought about. But if you have a plate, say, with little flowers all over it, they may not be able to distinguish the food and the flowers and they're trying Absolutely. to figure out what on earth is this, you know? Yeah. Like, are you trying to get me to eat a plate of flowers? <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, really good points. Thank you so much. Before we close, I do want to ask you, because I like to ask all my guests this, is there a senior in your life who just truly inspires you? Yes, my aunt. She's almost 70 years old. I absolutely adore her. She has been my, I was calling her my bonus mom, but she always just inspired me to, you know, educate myself, to be independent. She's traveled. She's done so many different things um, that, you know, as she was growing up as a female, she was told traditionally we're just not meant for women. So she's always been like a change maker. And so she greatly inspires me. And she's also aging well. And uh, I think as she's aging well and I'm aging with her, you know, I get much closer to her and we have a different relationship now as women. Mm hmm. That's wonderful. Thank you. And then if people want more information on Alzheimer's and especially about preparing for holidays, where's the website that they should go to get what they should do is go to alz.org and then they can do forward slash holidays. Sometimes it'll bring you directly to that page or you could just go to alz.org. They can also, if they'd like to get some information uh, mailed to them or emailed to them, they can also call our 24-7 helpline. It is 24-7. You can talk to a staff member like myself that will talk to you just about any and everything. They can have what they call a free and ongoing care consultation where they can be aligned with resources, get signed up for education programs, support groups, but also get specific topics, information on topics like this. And that number is one 800 272 3900. It's also important as people are preparing for the holidays to know that that's a 24 7 helpline. They can call and talk to a staff if they're having an issue with their family member during the holidays, if they're in crisis, if they need some tips. Uh, that is the number to call. They can reach out to us anytime at our 24 7 helpline at 1 800 272 3900. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on where I'm also going to have all this information on our website and along with the podcast, all of the contact information. Thank you to Nisha for being a guest. And we'll, we're going to have you back many times <laughs> to talk about so many, so many wonderful things and information that, that we need to know. Absolutely critical information. Thank you all so much for listening to today's podcast. As always, you can go to my website, which is lauriewilliams-seniorservices.com. We have tons of resources there. Go back and listen to all of our podcasts. And we did one just a couple of weeks ago, which is about red flags to look for when visiting at the holidays. So when you're visiting family members, some things to look for that could be clues that there may be some dementia or something going on. And again, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.